Welcome. You're listening to a UC Davis Center for Poverty Research conference podcast. I'm the Center's director, Ann Stevens. In November 2013, the Center hosted the conference, The Affordable Care Act and Low-Income Populations, Lessons from and Challenges for Research. The conference featured top healthcare experts from across the country to discuss the rollout of the Affordable Care Act and what the new system means for poverty in the United States. In this presentation, Neil Kohatsu talks about the innovation needed to transform our current health system into one that bridges healthcare and public health. Kohatsu is the medical director of the California Department of Healthcare Services. So just a little background on Medi-Cal. Um, Right now, there's about 8.5 million members uh, with the Affordable Care Act expansion. 1.5 million or so more will be somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 million members in the next uh, year or two or over time, representing more than one out of four Californians. If you look at births, Medi-Cal pays for almost half of all births, and with expansion, it may be more than half of all births. So uh, Medi-Cal is a big player in the California healthcare system. This is a pictorial representation of what uh, Dr. Chapman was talking about. Um, there's no bridge between the silos. Uh, technically, I think on the left is actually a grain bin. My wife grew up in South Dakota, but we'll call them silos. And the reason why uh, there needs to be bridging, uh, Dr. Chapman talked about it, but if you want to quantify it, uh, there, there have been a number of articles that looked at uh, estimating the impact of health care on preventable Mortality. Most people say it's in the range of 10 to 15 percent. There was an article by Mike McGinnis in Health Affairs, but there have been others, including New England Journal. And uh, the McGinnis-Fagey paper, followed by two uh, Mokdad papers from CDC, say somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 percent of preventable mortality is related to lifestyle. So um, I'm not underestimating the importance of... Uh, Healthcare. If you need a transplant, then you need a cardiac transplant. If you're in advanced stage congestive heart failure, so we need both systems. But certainly, we need bridging, as Dr. Chapman alluded to. Um, I'm going to say just a little bit about uh, our department's approach uh, to trying to bridge uh, the two systems: uh, healthcare and population health, or public health, if you will. Um, this is, uh, I'm just giving you the high-level overview of our quality strategy, which is modeled after the national quality strategy, which you can Google um, and find. Um, the national quality strategy was actually a part of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, the development of that was a requirement. This is essentially these three goals, three link goals, are our version of the IHI triple aim. We changed the order. We put proving the health of all Californians on top enhancing care delivery and, and reducing costs. The key, of course, and, and I'm glad that the uh, Center for Poverty Research are uh, chaired by economists, the, the key is to do all three at the same time. When you do one, um, we're not going to get to the, uh, we, we aren't going to address the triple aim unless we look at all three uh, domains at the same time. These are the seven overarching Principles. I'll highlight the seventh one since Dr. Chapman just talked about that. We're working very closely with the uh, Department of Public Health on the Office of Health Equity. We have a report that we'll be um, sharing publicly in about the next month on health disparities within the Medi-Cal population. So these are not in any sort of order. These are All of these are our priorities. Improving patient safety. The second one, de developing or delivering effective, efficient, affordable care. You can think of that as 
really talking about the new models of care that several sessions have already uh, addressed, including patient-centered uh, medical home, addressing super utilizers, behavioral health integration, that can all fall into that second bucket. We think it's critical that we do better, a better job of engaging members, persons, and families in their own health for a number of reasons, both shared decision-making, um, getting the right decisions at the end of life. Uh, all these things require better patient engagement. The fourth one, enhancing communication coordination of care that, of course, embraces advancement of electronic health record. We're really not going to be able to tackle this level of complexity without a robust EHR, and, and we still have a ways to go, as you know. Um, I'm glad that our department has, has embraced advancing prevention. For those who are still skeptics, I refer you to a pediatrics article with, um, talking about CDC data that said about almost a quarter of teens have either prediabetes or diabetes. There's simply not going to be enough endocrinologists and internists and family physicians if one quarter of the population has diabetes, which then leads to obesity, which leads to cardiovascular disease. You understand the picture. So I think the healthcare system, including Medi-Cal, including Department of Healthcare Services, has to take seriously this upstream look and not put it all on Ron's folks. Um, we have to be engaged in that. Um, one example, uh, some Kaiser hospitals actually have uh, farmer's markets right outside the hospital. Um, is it everything? No, but it's a good starting point to say that they're taking upstream prevention seriously. And the same tied in as fostering healthy communities. We have to be engaged in, in thinking upstream, that is, those of us in the healthcare system. And I talked about eliminating health disparities. Um, let me just say one more uh, thing about uh, the second bullet about these systems of care. I, I think uh, Ian Hill talked about there are a lot of things that perhaps aren't working as quickly as we need, but he talked about system redesign. And I think that is absolutely the key. Even putting aside Affordable Care Act, there was a paper that uh, those in primary care probably know um, talking about how many hours does it take to deliver a and B preventive services. Uh, when you add it all up in an average patient panel, it'll be 7.4 hours. So, Ron, unfortunately, there's no time for chief complaints or acute care because we would be doing just uh, preventive services. So, uh, that's just one example of the system doesn't work. We can't blame primary care doctors for why our HEDIS metrics don't look so well. These themes have been talked about. I, I just want to say um, the ACA is very important fostering a lot of things, such as evidence-based medicine, prevention, coordinating care and access. However, the challenges are, and I just uh, said a few words about uh, the major system uh, redesign. By the way, I, I'm, I'm not cynical to think that we can't do it. I think this country can apply the innovation that we see in Silicon Valley, not very far from where we stand, to the healthcare system. So, a couple of uh, examples of major system redesign. I think uh, the approach that um, Dr. Bodenheimer, Tom Bodenheimer, the high performance uh, primary care practice, um, when we talk about patient centered medical home, it's often in these lofty, we should coordinate care and behavioral health should be a part of it. But he's broken it down into 10 building blocks and at least 40 specific items. And so uh, for someone in policy, that's kind of what is needed. We need to get down to the 
nitty-gritty details. Another example that I'd call out is Rob Reed has a series of articles uh, in Health Affairs on Group Health Collaborative's effort at their version of patient-centered medical home. Um, Dr. Reed, in fact, spoke at uh, UC Davis uh, at the medical campus not too long ago, I think it was last year, on patient-centered medical home. They actually have shown a positive return on investment. I think they get $1.50 back for every dollar invested, uh, so there is a positive ROI. But they've made very dramatic changes, albeit a closed system, more like a small Kaiser, albeit a closed system. They made some dramatic changes, and when we say redesign the healthcare system, has anyone had an appointment with their doctor or been in the presence of a doctor for 30 minutes in discussion, except maybe when you were on the operating room table, then you probably had an encounter. But in the primary care setting, no. So their standard template went from 15 minutes to 30 minutes. They actually hired more primary care doctors, reduced the panel size. They were actually bleeding from physician burnout. So uh, it's just an example. I, I could tell you more about their system. But system redesign means serious changes in how we deliver care. And this notion, which you will hear in every conference that probably was mentioned earlier about operating at the top of the license, those are the kinds of things we need to think about. So not just pharmacists. When pharmacists take on a bigger counseling role, they need to pass off work as well. Pharmacy techs, psych techs in the VA system, those are just a couple of examples. So I think the major redesign is possible. Um, as Dr. Melnico said, that we're going to come back to the clinical world, and this is something that I think about. Uh, I took care of a number of Medi-Cal patients at the beginning of when I started after fellowship in the Lipid Clinic, and I didn't see the patients. This is Jeff Brenner and in the Camden Coalition. I didn't see so many of the so-called superutilized, but I did see people who needed specialty care. And I want to just call out the example of superutilizers or the hot spotting. Um, he recently won one of the so-called Genius Awards as a MacArthur Fellow um, awarded in September. This is a neighborhood in Camden Coalition, but this could be South Central. This could be um, parts of uh, South of Market. Um, this is why we need to think outside of the hospital and clinic about where our patients are going home to or actually not home to because some live in a car. And so this notion of superutilizers is reflected in this uh, graph uh, from the Kaiser Family Foundation. Um, in Medi-Cal, and actually my colleagues in Medicaid, we have the so-called 550 rule. The second bar is the 550 rule, where about 5% of the highest utilizers, healthcare uh, consumers, consume about 50% of the, the healthcare spend. If you go to the top 1%, uh, it's about 20% in some sicker populations, many 25%, so 125. If you go to the other side, the reason why some people aren't signing up for healthcare so quickly, the healthiest 50%, the lowest utilizers, uh, only account for 2 to 3% of healthcare spend. So um, I think attacking this notion of who needs the super utilizer team, the fraction of 1%, versus who's in the top 15%, what care they need is part of that system redesign we have to sort through, and how do we do it efficiently and effectively and within very tight uh, budgets, as has been described. So in summary, what are the implications for research? Well, the three-year, three- to five-year NIH or AHRQ grant is, uh, I think for Dr. Chapman and me, that's too slow of a pace, and we have to think more like um, what Dr. Don Berwick, the former head of CMS, said, which is, and it's actually what he, it's on the walls at IHI, 
Uh, isn't it, Dr. Shake? Uh, what can you do by next Tuesday? I think that's on the walls of uh, IHI's headquarters. And that's more in the space of Dr. Shake's a colleague who works with me at UC Davis and quality improvement. That's more the pace that Don Berwick talks about, and he was CMS administrator for a very great year. Um, and it is, in fact, about uh, the money. And that's not just to be cynical. Incentives and disincentives are very important. Looking at capitated care and that even in Kaiser, to do the right thing, you have to, to move into more of a superutilizer program or to develop that or to develop a bit better palliative care program. That means adjusting, taking away something in the budget to apply resources to other places. So uh, it's not meant to be a cynical note, but for the academic researchers, you need to partner with the researchers in economics, in health economics, and broader that broader uh, economics picture as well, behavioral economics. Because for us to be able to carry the political water to convince uh, the inside and outside stakeholders, we need those models, economic modeling. I know that's something Dr. Melnico, um, Dr. Kaiser, we're going to have meetings on that very issue looking at uh, one particular problem um, later this year. We need better data. Our data, admittedly, in the Medi-Cal program uh, are wanting. Uh, we are trying as hard as we can to get it up to speed, but the point is we can't wait. We have to look at what we have, do the best we can, and we, in fact, are working with partners at UC Davis and other places on looking at super uh, utilizers, um, doing the best we can with the data, um, knowing that it is imperfect. And finally, I think this theme has been uh, mentioned in several of the previous talks, is we have to look across in more of a system sense or using systemness. And that means thinking across to the uh, public health side of the street, even within uh, a particular health plan, we need to think about the impacts on behavioral health, which is divided up into substance abuse and mental health. We need to think upstream. We need to think about social determinants of health. I know that's bringing a level of complexity, but I'm sorry, health and health care are complex, and we just need to be uh, apply uh, academic and, and other uh, resources towards solving these complex problems. And I'll leave it with that. I think we can address systemness working together. But um, unless we pull together, we're not going to be able to deal with um, not only the medical issues, but the broader health care challenges in California. Thanks. I'm Ann Stevens, the director of the Center for Poverty Research at UC Davis, and I want to thank you for listening. The center is one of three federally designated poverty research centers in the United States. Our mission is to facilitate nonpartisan academic research on domestic poverty, to disseminate this research, and to train the next generation of poverty scholars. Core funding comes from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. For more information about the center, visit us online at poverty.ucdavis.edu.